Three, two, one. That was interesting. That was a... Yeah, I know. I don't think I did that. I wonder... I don't think you had the necessary rhythm. I, I, I was emphasising it, but I think I was still thinking of the Netflix swing. I'm wondering if... Um, I'm wondering if the way to do it is... Um, hold on. I've got... I've got... A, I've got a, just, just, just roll with me on this one. Okay. <laughs> and a one. And a two. And a one, two, three, four. That sounded even worse, which is great. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast that's all about board games and board games and the people who love board games. I stole Matt's intro there, even though I don't believe in it. I'm joined today by Ava Foxfort. Isn't it our tagline at this point? Isn't board games, board games, and the people who love them? I don't like it. I really Isn't don't that, like no, it. No, I mean, I don't, no, but you don't have to like it. We just have to say it. I feel like we do have to like people it. People will have it drilled though. into their hands. Hands? Into their hands. <laughs> whoa. Ooh, whoa. Whoa there. Gave away a little bit too much of the uh, shut up and sit down long term business plan there. <laughs> We're going to crucify the audience. No, we probably have to stop this. Yeah, now. we can't have that. Um, because... Should we start that again? I think we should probably reintroduce the podcast. Okay, yes. And welcome to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast that's all about board games, board games, and the people who love board games. We've just done this intro for the second time, maybe even the third time, because we keep messing it up. But on the last time, I said that I didn't like that phrase as our tagline, and Ava rebelled against that tagline, but that's lost to history. But maybe we're bringing it back now. This is a confusing way to start a podcast. Board games, board games, and the people who board games. I think I really like that which I know we've used before. Mm. We're going to be talking today about four board games because we are a bit greedy and some of them are like just little tiny little chats and we just want to clear out because frankly, it's been a while since I've got to be on a podcast. I've been busy doing other things and like I've just played too many games and I just need to plow through some of them and I think that, yeah, we're just going to talk about some games. Some of them I like, some of them I don't. Some of them I haven't even played. I, that's actually Tom's going to That's my That's my those. segment. It's called Games That Ava Hasn't Played and Ava's segment is called games that tom hasn't played yeah no we've got a great idea for this podcast it's going to be really incoherent <laughs> it's, it's going to be nonsense ava what is going on with king of 12 king of 12 is a terrible name for a game uh but i quite like it so there's this thing with this which is i wanted to introduce this was kind of like it's been a while since I've like gone to a game night with strangers. Mm. King of 12 landed in my lap after UK Games Expo. Didn't get a chance to play it there, but asked someone to send me a copy. It came and I was like, oh, look at this. This is like, you remember back in the day when you used to sit around a table and you'd play Coup or Love Letter or Masquerade, you know, something fairly straightforward and a bit silly with a bit of bluffing and a bit of lying and a bit of simplicity just cards around a table and a little bit of narrative and mm. yeah do you remember that tom do i remember I, that tom i do remember i remember that specific era of going on to www.shutupandsitdown.com and seeing what the 
you know, sort of cards around a table flavor of the day was, whether it be coup or love letter or indeed the hidden favorite masquerade and then introducing it to my friends and having a time. Yeah, those were times. Those were times. <laughs> they were the times of times and they were the times of times. <laughs> so King of 12 took me right back to those times. It is a game for up to four players in which everybody has a dice, which I believe the game refers to as a 12-sided stone of power. That's good. Um, yeah, because you got a little D twelve. Yeah, and you draw, you do, you do the Libertalia thing where there's a whole load of cards that you can have, and someone draws seven of them, and then everyone else gets the same card. So there's already a bit of variance in the setup, and you're going to be playing with a different hand of cards each time. And with these cards, you're going to be taking turns just playing a card face down. Everybody does that at the same time, reveals the card, and then a load of stuff happens. And it's so simple, and it's so stupid. <laughs> and I quite like it. I was going to say that this looks this looks very elegant. Like, it doesn't seem like a game that you were then going to pair with the word stupid or silly. Because, like, just to give, you know, get a picture of this game in the mind's eye of the listener, this is like, got these pure sort of white cards with a single illustration in the middle and some delicate looking text. And I like that all the illustrations have the 12-sided stone of power hidden somewhere in, well, not hidden, just present somewhere inside them as the sort of character on the on the card is manipulating the the 12-sided stone of power. Oh, yeah. Someone pointed out that, like, actually it does some really, like, weird things with scale because you get to look at these 12-sided stones of power. And if you pretend that all of them are the same size, it means that the golem is, like, really, really tiny. Yeah. And the fox is enormous and various <laughs> things like And the that. merchants are, like, the size of, like, a god by the looks of things. They have tiny yeah, little yeah, stones yeah. in their hands. Yeah, it's really cute. And it's gone for that. I don't know how I feel about this aesthetic, but like, I think people will recognize it. The covers of Time Story games used to have it. And it's basically, I think I remember a time when this was quite a bold choice for a board game because board games have always been like colorful, chunky boxes with big text. Mm. And this is the, this box is white and immaculate. And there is a logo on the front that is perfectly designed and colorful. And all of the color is contained in this field of white. So it's almost minimalist, but like, not really. I think it's minimalist. Yeah, I mean, I really don't like it, but that is absolutely a taste thing rather than a quality <laughs> thing. Like, I've I find it just a little bit like, uh -huh, we are trying to be a classier game. Um, I love that. Which is. Yeah, you love that. You love a bit of like fake classy, yeah. like pretending to be classy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen you out and about wow. pretending to be classy. Jeez. <laughs> Sorry, Tom. I don't mean it. I don't <laughs> I haven't actually seen you out and about. So at the start of a round, you'll have rolled your dice and everyone around the table will have rolled their dice. So they'll have a number for one to twelve in front of them. Um then everyone will play a card face down. You play a card face down, and once everyone's done that, you reveal the card. Everyone does that at the same time. Now, here we get to the rule that comes up over and over again, which is that at first you compare cards. And what you're looking for is, has anyone played the same card as someone else? If they have, those cards, uh -uh, not happening. Right. Yeah? Just 
those cards get cancelled, the effect doesn't happen, and you shove them out of the way. So you might be playing a card to stop someone else's power from happening, or you might be playing a card because you desperately want it to happen and have it stopped by someone else trying to do the same thing. So you've got this little, like, bluffy logic puzzle about what people can play next. Then you move on and all of the cards take effect. The different cards will do different things. Most of them will change the value of the dice. There's two ways it can do this. Some of these actually literally make you move the die. Some of them make you swap your die with the people next to you mm. and just move everything around. Um, and some of them will just say, add 10 to your die for this turn, effectively. Right. And that's like a mental manipulation. You don't keep track of that anywhere because you're only going to need to know it for a few seconds. Because once all of the card effects have happened, you move to the next phase and you compare the values of all of the die. Right? You want to be the highest, right? But also, do you know what you don't want to do, Tom? What do you not want to do, Ava? Please tell me, tell me. Have the same value as another ah. player. You do that. Uh, uh, and your dice are cancelled and you cannot win that round. It's a game about going your own way. You can go your own way. way or you're going to get cancelled and something's going to go wrong. So you've got to try and find a thing to do that no one else is going to do. And this is only four players and it's only seven cards. So it's easy and really hard to do mm. that because everyone's doing the same second guessing as everyone else like certainly like if there's a weakness to this game it's that like occasionally two of you have rolled the same number at the beginning and there is a good chance that you will just spend the rest of the game cancelling each other out right right and particularly with three players that can just be quite annoying because trying to get out of sync with someone else who is trying to get out of sync with you is very difficult it's like that thing where you're walking towards someone on the pavement and then, you know, like you want to get out of their way, but they also want to get out of your way. And then you sort of do that little dance. But maybe you might be doing that dance intentionally in this game. Yeah, yeah, you could be doing it intentionally. You could be trying to stop one from leaving because we haven't got to the final bit of it. Although I will say that if you've just listened to that idea of dancing back and forth and playing across the road, on, across the road from someone else and getting frustrated at the fact that you keep on doing the same thing. Mm. If you think that's going to be funny to you, you're going to like this game. If you think that's going to annoy you, you're going to hate this game, right? Not because that's the only thing that happens in that game, but because it's indicative of the sort of attitude you have to take going into this game. I see. So then whoever came in first but didn't have their dice cancelled uh, gets two points. Whoever came in second but didn't get their dice cancelled gets one point. And then you move on to the next turn. Now, importantly, you do not re-roll your dice between turns. Oh. So there's this continuation between each of the card plays as you play until one person only has one card left at which point you count up the scores and someone wins a round right you only need to win two rounds to win the whole game that's simple but guess what tom i think guess i can what? i think i can guess what what do you think happens <laughs> if two people have their points tied no tom? way no way uh, uh, <laughs> That's I really, right. I really wish you would you would have said nothing happens at all. The person <laughs> nothing happens at all. It's a tiebreaker. Yeah, the person closest win. to the first yeah, player. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this, like, I love that this gives you like the illusion of extra control, but actually just much more chaos. Right. Because in theory, it means if you're falling behind, you can start working to not try and win, but to try and make it so out of the two other players or the three other players that two people end up getting the same score. Because <laughs> when you have this thing where people are like, 
out of sync but also in sync you quite often have it where two play like i played a three player game of this where like there were two of us and we kept on taking it in turns to win a round and that is the worst thing that can happen because it meant that the person who was not winning any rounds did not really get the game entirely during that first round mm. uh, ended up winning the round because we had both cancelled each other out this is silly this is annoying this is funny and this is quick right when you win a round, you tuck one of the cards out of your seven cards underneath your dice, mm. which means that you're going to have less options, but no one's going to know which card you've lost. Uh... Yeah, which is cute and clever. And then if you win again, once you've already got a card tucked under your 12-sided stone of power, um, you win the game. And and that's it, Tom. I've told you all of the rules. Yeah, that's kind of amazing. Like. You are pitching this game remarkably well to me. I am kind of sold on on this idea of this kind of very svelte, quite elegant, but very silly card game where you're sort of this. Oh, this sounds good. This sounds really good. I think it's quite good. I don't think it's amazing. Like I have no idea whether it's got legs, and I know that like I think some proportion of people who play it are going to go. This is complete. Uh, what's the polite way of saying bullshit? Tom? Bobbins. Bobbins. <laughs> <laughs> I learned bobbins entirely from Shut Up and Sit Down. By the way, like I think maybe entirely from you. <laughs> I don't know. Qu Quinn says it a lot as well, doesn't it? Quinn, yeah, he I does. feel like, but within the within the Shut Up and Sit Down milieu, I yeah. feel like bobbins is one of Quinn's words that Quite I've, possibly, I've yeah. borrowed. But I I did say it before I knew Quinn. You said it before also. it was cool because bobbins is cool. I don't know. I think that I think that this game is both clever and stupid in a way that is frustrating for some people. It looks like you have a lot of tools for understanding what other people are doing. You could argue that it's just a game where you pick a card and then something silly happens. Like it's more at the love letter end of the spectrum, even though it looks like it's going to have a lot more bluffing and dynamics. It sounds to me very much like a pub game. Like that's, oh, the, yeah. that's the wheelhouse that I'm putting this thing in is like a game that, you know, it's got just enough of that like juice and potential for plays, but it's not going to make everyone sort of sit in contemplative silence for, for minutes at a time. It, it, it looks that it could be quite, maybe not raucous, but certainly giggly. It's a good warm up for a night at the pub or yeah. a game night or something where you're waiting for someone like it says 15 minutes on the box takes about 15 minutes to play yeah uh, it only goes up to four people um and that's kind of frustrating because it's yeah. the sort of thing that you feel would work well with more but i think if you put more into it it would go too long and that would be a bit frustrating gotcha but it is it is simple to teach and it is over so quickly that like it's a lovely little way to warm up or cool down not really cool down but just like make sure that everyone's i think if you've just played a really really heavy euro and someone's got to wait 15 minutes for their bus this is like the perfect game to just like clear out your head a little bit and just be like i don't want to think i just want to pretend to think yeah um and yeah so it's perfect for a very specific niche and uh yeah i'm quite into it <laughs> Ava, we've just talked about one slightly silly game. Let me tell you about a turbo silly game. Let me tell you about space. Flick Fleet is a two-player space combat dexterity skirmish 
game. This is a review copy kindly provided to us by Eurydice Games. And in this game, you're taking little laser-cut acrylic ships, you're slapping them down onto, onto your table, which must be, I believe, 90 by 90 centimeters and flat. And then you are launching dice from those ships to try and destroy your opponent's ships. And the thing I like most about this game is that I've basically taught you the whole game and you can be taught the whole game by eye. You look at this game on the table and you're like, yeah, I know how to play this game now. You see one person take their turn and you go, okay, I get it. Because all the game is, is you, at the start of a round, you have a little cube on each of your ships and then you pluck a cube from a ship to show that you've activated it and you take two actions with it. And those actions can be move, they can be shoot, or they can be their little special ability, which are on a little sort of like sideboard. You can see sort of diagrams of the ships that you have on the in the game and they have like their special actions listed there when you move you get your flicking finger and you position it behind a ship and you flick it by its ass and engines you flick it by its engines and it will slide across the table when you shoot you take a dice and you put it on top of the ship and then you flick it at an opponent's ship and if it hits that ship and then rolls onto a side that corresponds to a damage spot on that little ship diagram, <laughs> you do some damage. <laughs> that is cute. It is very sweet. And here's like a fun thing, right? Is that most of the big sort of, so the small ships, you can hit them with basically any number and they'll take some damage. Uh, and there's a cute detail here where fighter wings are represented by these sort of concentric circular discs, like three of them. And that's representing almost like a cloud of, of fighters that are sort of swarming around. If you hit the fighter cloud with a dice, you remove one of the rings, which represents there being fewer fighters, but it also means that they're a smaller and smaller target because they get gradually, gradually smaller on the table, which is very cute. But here's another cute twist, is that some of the ships, uh, the big carriers and destroyers, the sort of big chunky ships, the flagships, they have different locations that you can do damage to. And those locations correspond to the dice. So if you hit a one, you might hit, I don't know, the engine room. Or if you do a four, you might hit the like little tiny weak spot of the ship that just destroys it instantly or something. The thing that's cute here is that some dice roll a six-sided dice, which means that you're always going to hit something. But some roll like D8s maybe or D10s. I'm not quite sure which. Um, which means that anything that isn't in that one to six is a miss which is kind of cute as well. Like, you know, oh, my fighters, they can get in nice and close, but they fire a dice that's like gonna miss like 50% of the time. Uh, it's very sweet. I, I, I can't believe, I've basically just described you the whole game, Ava. And I think like, if you're sold by that pitch, you know that you'll like Flick Fleet. And if you're not, then you probably won't like it. And that's kind of, that's kind of it. It's interesting. Like, honestly, like, I've never really um, got inspired to get one of these, like, flicky, combat-y games. Like, I've not tried Flick 'em Up. I've not tried... I, ca I can't think of anything other than Flick 'em Up right now, but I know there's things that exist. Because it's always... Oh, Catacombs. I think I even got a copy of Catacombs and ended up selling it on before I even played it. Because... There just seems to be like a level of rulesness that doesn't gel for me with the fact that what I want to be doing is just playing a game where I'm doing silly flicking. Yes. And like when there's elegant things like Karam and um, what's the one that Quings likes? Crocodile. Crocodile. Uh, when there's these really elegant like classic games in that same genre. Like, I want something to be smart and cool. And that dice thing is just 
really that's that's nice like you're modeling a lot of stuff with that right the idea that tiny <laughs> ships will actually be really bad most of the time big ships might actually be quite easy to hit even if you can't necessarily get the sort of damage that you want and yeah there's there's cool stuff there i was actually just a little bit disappointed when you said you started saying that like on the sideboard there was little diagrams of what the special abilities were mm-hmm. and i but that's not what you said you said that there's diagrams of the ships with special abilities beside them and that was disappointing because i was really hoping that the special abilities were like this one can become a tiddlywink um, <laughs> uh, that and would i was be kind of hoping sweet. for that no unfortunately not the special abilities are, uh, are kind of interesting they're nothing sort of revelatory you know like you might have a specific special ability that like lets you recharge your shield so your ship can like soak a free hit or like certain ships might be able to fire like a few more dice than normal or like the carriers can launch sort of they've got fighter or bomber bays they can then launch like other ships from um but there's a kind of slightly tepid realization to these that nothing is going to be truly zany or game breaking they're quite sort of like obvious but there is another nice little thing where let's say that you fire a ship and you hit that one you might disable their shield system so that you might go all in on the attack of that ship or something but then are you going to do damage who knows because you're flicking dice at them it's it's (laughs) very very silly there's something there's also something really sweet about the fact that when you move a ship you flick them from where their engines are and with most of the ships like uh so for example the fighter clouds you flip them from anywhere their engines are sort of wherever you want but then with other ships you have to flip them from a very specific spot my favorite ship in the whole game is the carrier because it's kind of long and thin and you have to flick it by its end which means you're constantly just spinning this carrier around the galaxy because you have no control over how it's going to like tilt and, and wobble as it goes forward it's it's very silly yeah that's exactly the sort of stuff you want right is that you want the physics of the thing to be what you are paying attention to like that you don't want to be looking at a sheet of rules for what you can do you want to be like how does this thing interact like that was the that was part of the joy of kabuto sumo right yeah it's just that you just did a thing and something happened and it was all just based on how shapes work yeah for sure there's something very like funny about this whole like experience like the way that you know there are little special rules sequestered away for things like ramming if you want to like ram a ship into another most of the time we'd sort of declare a ram and then fire a carrier at someone that would sort of drift into a collision in a way that was just continually very funny and there was this really lovely moment where i played this with my flatmate and we started playing it and he took his first like two turns and after that sort of put his hands on his hips and looked sort of discerningly at the game went this is just silly and then the more we played it by the end he had sort of one carrier that was backed into a corner of the table and he was like really thinking about everything that he was doing and trying to like i was desperately trying to fire at him but missing every time oh there's oh i forgot to explain some really really juicy little rolls with the with rules with the rules with the rolls some juicy little rules with the rolls if you flick a dice and it goes off the table, that shot misses completely. So you've got to be careful about how hard you flick the dice, which obviously means you might fall short of getting them. But also, if your ship goes off the table with a move, it's lost in deep space, which is just very, very (laughs) funny when I think that game ended with him trying to get out of a pickle, not wanting to ram because it destroys both ships in the process, I believe. And instead, just sort of trying to skirt around the edge and just flying off into deep space on the last turn of the game. (laughs) 
the bad news is that like it's probably not something you're going to crack out forever and ever because of kind of its nature i think this is the thing with a lot of dexterity games is they're really fun to show people and they're fun to get to the table and, and give them a whirl and be like hey have you seen this weird thing this is what board games could be these days but ultimately like the thing that you can do in this game that's delightful is you sort of have a point limit for your sort of army and you can field these different fleets. But once you've done a few different combinations, you've sort of seen most of the game, you've kind of exhausted its its tactical depth. But as something that you could bring out now and again, and something that would probably be really good to show kids as well, it's pretty delightful. Um, it reminds me a lot of Flick'em Up. And I think that maybe the biggest differentiation between getting this or getting Flick'em Up is that Flick'em Up has terrain, which I think is huge. And there's obviously what Flickfleet is doing is modeling the vast empty sort of emptiness of space. Space doesn't really have terrain so much, but maybe it should for this game. <laughs> some odd little obstacles and planets could really create some like variance in the experience when sometimes you do end up with these things where it does just feel like two sort of fleets smacking against each other and then you sort of pick it up and, and play it again as many times as you fancy. But you might not be that entertained by picking it up and playing it again lots and lots of times. But I do like it a lot. I think it's really neat. I think it's a nifty thing. I would like to see people like trying to make custom terrain, but trying to make like it relatively like or not authentic space. But like <laughs> you'd kind of want to be focusing rather than necessarily obstacles, although maybe you could have like a big uh, supernova or something that is like very very large but trying to do it by like adjusting the texture of the table oh, like if there was like cool. a nebula that was like a rubber section that meant that it was very hard to get across that but actually <laughs> if you could start to think about that um but yeah no i can see what you mean uh, like a lot of dexterity games i imagine there's a shelf life on how fun it is to flick unless you pick one of those like archetypal grand precise actually these games are so simple that you could become an expert in flicking this tiny wooden disc across this giant wooden disc with some <laughs> sticks in yeah yeah you've you've described the appeal entirely of uh of, of crocodile there i will say that maybe some of these criticisms could be addressed by i think they're making a sequel called xeno wars which adds some sort of slightly more asymmetric ships and some scenery and stuff like that um but that's i think that's a game found thing i think it might be in pledge manager at this point but that's that might maybe that's going to address some of those things but as it exists flick fleet as a box right now very very silly and like <laughs> a, a, a turbo luxury dexterity game that is very 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 funny yeah, it's hard as well because like a sequel could fix all of those problems or it could lose what is fun about that, right? Like mm. when the thing is coming from a simplicity, like, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. I'd like to take a look at that. After we've got really excited about a couple of things that we think that are like flawed but entertaining silliness... Um, I want to talk about something that I kind of was just disappointed in. Um, Museum Suspects was a game that I was quite excited about. It's Blue Orange. Wait, that sounds like I'm describing the colour. It's published by Blue Orange, who <laughs> are 
really frankly like i've had quite a few boxes from them recently and they are knocking things out of the park in the production uh values like Ooh. all of their pieces are chunky and solid they uh, several of the games i've had from them recently don't have any uh plastic baggies in them they've just got little paper envelopes so doing a little mm. bit for sustainability there which is really lovely um everything nicely packed and carefully put into boxes and it's just just good like the experience of opening up was like exciting and a pleasure and just like oh that's nice these are nice things um and museum suspects offered me what i thought could be interesting it offered me a deduction game of the classical variety like almost a little bit in the vein of well it's not quite in the vein of cluedo and it's not quite in the vein of guess who either but it is somewhere between those two points which isn't necessarily the ideal place to go and probably gives you the impression that i think i had as well that this is probably aimed at kids and families and i didn't play it with kids and families so i don't know how it would work with them but let's go into it anyway the core of museum suspects is someone has stolen something from a museum and there are clues around so you create a grid of people who are in the museum that has now been locked down so that you can do your detecting because that's definitely how crimes work (laughs) um there around the outside of the board uh there are a set of cards that have been removed from decks that are all of the options for the thing this person might be wearing around their neck the species that they are because these are all like animal tourist human people right a little bit odd the color of their shirt so there's all of these options for i think there's eight different categories Mm -hmm. of things that is true about a person or some of the people in the grid of cards in the middle displaying these people maybe they're hanging out in a blue room maybe they're hanging out in a green room maybe they have got a baseball cap maybe they've got a little beret um all of this sort of stuff and some of them are about the locations maybe it's about the left side and it's doing that thing where you pull out the correct answer from each of these decks. So these eight cards that are distributed around the outside are the alibis of certain people. So you might say, oh, we know it didn't happen in this corner, or we know it didn't happen to someone who was, the the, the criminal can't be someone who was wearing a beret, right? So it's a negative clue. It's a clue mm-hmm. that says it's not that. So you've got a little notepad and the notepads are really nicely produced and you cross off some boxes for options that you now know when you've looked at one of these cards what it isn't. You also then place a little token on this card that tells makes it harder for other people to look at the same clue depending on what number you put on them, mm. right? You then also put from the same pool of numbers, I think... You also put a number on one of the suspects in the middle who you think it might be. And the height of this number tells you how suspicious you are about that person. Now, these go face down. So you're not giving away information apart from the fact you suspect them a bit. And it's kind of weird because what this means is that over the course of the game, you're agglomerating this thing where people are like bluffing about how important they think one clue is so that people waste their good tokens Mm. on there and people other people are putting 
bets on like an increasing number of suspects and assuming that they're like oh yeah no I'm like kind of like 80% suspicious of that person but only like 20% suspicious of that person this is odd right there's something about this that is funny but also strange because the problem that I have with museum suspects is that you build up to this conclusion where everyone has placed all of their tokens, everyone's had the same number of turns, and you reveal all of the clues to work out who it could not possibly be. Now, this means that the puzzle is random. The deduction you're doing, the thing that you are guessing at, is just entirely random. It is possible for more than one suspect to be guilty. It is possible for no suspects to be guilty, in which case you're supposed to have put some suspicion on the museum exit, and it's assuming that you're you know the suspect has got away and is Ah. not here and then you can win the game by having the most the most suspicion on whichever cards are determined to be guilty at the end and it's it's all of the motions of a deduction game it's like someone has been like right let's make a game that gives you all of the gestures of doing this deduction without actually getting to feel clever because you don't feel like you're trying to solve a mystery you feel like you're trying to solve a random logic puzzle yeah it's not being calculated in any way it might have no solution it might have too many solutions so you don't feel like you're uncovering something so much as you are just doing guessing and this will probably work for some kids but it also by the time they're canny enough to want to play something like this that is a logic puzzle is a fun little simple logic puzzle they might have developed the discernment to be like oh well this is just this is just like backwards guess who cluedo and it doesn't quite land and i'm i don't know how disappointed to be in this like i think you should take some of my negativity with a pinch of salt because i think there are moments of cleverness here like the fact that this works at all feels really really clever to me like i think it's a smart design i think it's just a smart design that is aiming at being something that i don't want and it's close enough to something that i don't want that it fits into this kind of like uncanny valley thing where it's close enough that i'm like more disappointed in it than i should be like i think it's a solid simple thing the artwork's quite cute it's very french um and yeah but i also it's got that thing of it's designed by phil walker harding and i because he's designed things like bear park and silver and gold and that other one that i really like he's done some like he's done some incredible simple solid designs and this is this feels just like it's simple do you think it's sort of presenting a like a deduction puzzle that is more game than puzzle because to me some of the best deduction games are games where like the fact that you're you know i don't know trying to score points or get a leg up on a competitor actually doesn't matter that much because you're just so invested in like solving the root of this thing but the way that like you have all these different possibilities of what it could be it could be multiple suspects it could just be one it could be the exit kind of divides your attention and makes it more into a, a betting game as you said of sort of hedging on a certain person being it which is not really solving a mystery yeah yeah no i think that's fair actually i think that that's where the strength of it lies right is that like actually you can play this and just hope right (laughs) 
you're sure. gonna, it, it's it, you, yeah you're gambling on maybe having the right solution and like that is the sort of thing that makes things more accessible to a family because it yeah. levels the playing field a bit which is sure. something that is incredibly hard to do with a logic and deduction game <laughs> so museum suspects is not what I was hoping for and so I've ended up being a bit disappointed but like maybe there's something in there for the right person or the right family I think in particular I think there's a situation that this could get you out of if you've got someone who wants to get into logic (laughs) in the simplest way possible whilst not actually being very good at it I don't know who that person is but they exist somewhere Unlike, necessarily, the suspect in this museum. There we go. Slam dunk! We've got another heist going on, right? We've got another European heist, I hear. Yeah. One more heist. This time, not in a museum, but maybe in a museum, or maybe in the Eiffel Tower. That's right. We're talking about Caper Europe. Ava, I've heard people (laughs) say that this is simply an overproduced battle line game. Battle line being, I think, isn't that the one that then got re-implemented as Shot and Totten and other sort of similar games where you've got like two sort of sets of cards competing over centralized locations? Yes. And I'm here to tell you that it kind of is. But that's not <laughs> a bad thing. I think it's a good thing, actually. The production of Caper Europe, it's from Keymaster Games, I should say, who produce lavishly gorgeous boxes. And when you get this out of the box, it reminds me a lot of... um. Uh, that Rainer Knizzi game, it reminds me a lot of Royal Visit, where laying this thing out onto the table is so inviting. You've got these gorgeous card backs, a sort of green velveteen insert, these little metal coins, some chunky wooden tokens, and not just the card backs, the card fronts are really pretty as well. They've got lovely illustrations all over them. It's a gorgeous production to like sort of lay out on the table. And I will tell you what you do in Caper Europe, right now because that's probably more important than the production basically you're two different teams of heisters that are trying to heist the same locations don't know why but that's what you're trying to do heisters blitz <laughs> that's such a niche pun i don't know it's beautiful don't know no it's beautiful do. anyway carry on in the middle of the table you have these three separate locations and each location has a bunch of stolen goods i believe they're called in them and as well as this they have a point value for which side controls that location at the end of the game control represented by this little token that you sort of tug of war back and forth next to each location so those three locations could be the eiffel tower an art gallery a yacht and over the course of the game what you're going to be playing is essentially a drafting game you have two decks of cards one is thieves and one is gear and each round you deal out a bunch of cards from one of those decks so it's either a thief round or a gear round You deal a bunch of cards out to both players and then you take turns picking a card and playing it in sort of on your side of the table. The twist being that you, after playing a card from your hand, you then give the whole hand to your opponent and you draft back and forth until both hands are gone with the last card getting discarded each time. So you know there's one card from each hand that just doesn't get played. So what do you do with these cards? Well, the thieves go to each location so you can choose which location to put them on and each location can have a maximum of three thieves and the thieves might have effects like stealing one of the stolen goods from that location and putting it in your personal stash or moving the little token in the tug of war game more towards your side or they might score you points for having certain things in your sort of score area at the end of the game. So for example, like the artist is a thief who wants to collect lots of paintings. 
Then, once you've played your thieves to locations, you'll then do a gear drafting round where you deal out gear that you then equip to the thieves. And this gear might do things like get you a little bit of money, steal you more goods, or maybe take part in this sort of little set collection mini game where you want to collect lots of different colors of gear on different people. There's one especially spicy card, which is just a straight up flamethrower, that if you play to a location, you burn the top card off of your opponent's sort of stack of gear on their side, with the little twist that if you burn a card that gave that player two money, they have to return two money. If they played a card that gave them a lot of caper, which lets you move that token, you move the token back the other way. You reverse whatever it is they played, which is pretty juicy, but there's only three of them in the whole deck. So you know when they come, it's going to be a big deal. And I should say that one thing I really love about this game is you have these two decks of cards and you will have, both of you will have seen every single card in the game by the end of it because everything just gets dealt out perfectly. Like you deal out hands of thieves and you'll see all those thieves. Like there's no cards in the in the sort of draw pile at the end of the game. You've seen everything. And it's very, very juicy, very elegant when you sort of play everything out in front of you. You've seen everything the game has to offer. Why is this thieves? I don't understand. Like this sounds like this is like area control over different bits with mm. some like grabbing of resources. Why 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 what's caper about what's caping? Ship. About but this. They, Where's the total well, landscaping for um, seasons? Now, so, n- no, basically. There, is, <laughs> there isn't much thievery. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't feel like stealing until you actually, you know, when you actually take a good from a location and put it in front of you, that feels like pilfering. That feels like stealing something out from under someone else. Very rarely does this game feel like two teams of heisters sort of jostling for, you know, position of something. It just, it does feel ultimately like an area control game. So it is weird how like the theme doesn't quite fit with the gameplay, but the theme that is there is like really rich and well illustrated and sort of well brought out. There's something very nice about how all the gear is sort of like a top down view of all the gear like laid out on a table. So you sort of see the whole of like a suit that your guy is going to wear to get a little bit of extra caper. But you're right. It is, it is effectively sort of, it is a twist on the sort of battle line mini genre of playing cards to locations to sort of tug of war something over to your side and sort of knowing where to sort of put your little pots of control down, which doesn't really gel with a heist theme, even if that theme is very realized in a very pretty way. There's only so much I can really say about this other than it's just a very sort of juicy little card game with a lot of like back and forth and sort of, there's a nice thing where each of your thieves can only have three gear on them. So you might have sort of be showing that you've reached a sort of gear capacity on one side. And there's these lunges to sort of try and control a particular location. And there are these lovely juicy moments where you know that you're going to have to pass a card to your opponent that you don't want. So maybe you draft out the game. And that's maybe the point of the game that I find most frustrating is that because there's these little set collection mini games, you know, you might have a, a person who needs a particular combo of gear cards. Often you will be doing hate drafting where you pick a card specifically so your opponent can't have it. And I, I don't really like that in games. I found out that I don't like hate drafting, which is why I really don't like Bunny Kingdom. Famously, that review mm. where I dressed as a big bunny and was just mean about a game that I really hated. But I've been playing this as a sort of like best of three, where you play three games back to back and you sort of get a sort of an understanding of how the other person plays the game and you sort of get the lay of the land of the decks. And then when you're done with the game, 
you can then add in different locations. There's four locations the game comes with and they add in unique gear and a unique gimmick. So you've got sort of four slight variants on the theme within the box. And I just think this is really quite nifty. I don't think it's shatteringly brilliant or amazing, but as someone who found sort of Shot and Totten and similar games like that a little bit too dry, a little bit too dull for my tastes, there's some sort of grit within Caper Europe that's really interesting and the production is super lavish. So it's this very, it's sort of uplifting a quite sort of maybe staid genre. Am I allowed to say that? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, how does it compare to Air, Land and Sea, which we've recently seen Quinn's waxing lyrical about? I can actually sort of do the Quinn's, uh, like... Are you going to do an impression of Quinn's? I'm not going to do an impression, but I can give you the skinny because he didn't like the original caper, quote, because he had to read too much upside down. And when I asked if he wanted to play Caper Europe, he refused on that basis so that's that's it that's the sort of rigorous standards of journalistic integrity (laughs) klaxon sound effect talked about cancelling a lot earlier with king of 12 we're going to cancel quins over his over his his Uh, paper uh. opinions yeah uh, uh, klaxon no i think i think that quins would have would maybe find it a little bit too sort of like maybe a little bit more swingy. I think he's more on the side of liking a sort of quite pure, quite dry card game. Whereas I think I like things that are a little bit more, a little bit more fiddly diddly. That's the wrong word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this kind of like sits somewhere in between where it's not fiddly diddly enough for you and not uh, dry and clear and the correct way up for Quinn. The correct way up. I think it is about fiddly diddly enough for me. I think it will replace Shot and Totten, but I don't know... I think that I'm wary of suggesting it because I think that it doesn't have the purity of that design. It's not as clean. But to me, I think that makes it a more inviting box to show people and something that's got more capacity for plays that feel a bit more daring and silly rather than, you know, playing that game and feeling like you're slowly getting crushed into the ground. But the important thing about the Airland and Sea comparison is that every single time I've played Airland and Sea, it's been, I think, with Quinns and I have been dumpstered by him every time. So to me, that game is just associated with feelings of, of deep loss and failure. Uh, so much so that we played the Spies, Lies and Supplies version. We played it once and then I was like, I, I never want to play this game ever again, specifically with oh. Quinn's Scorched Earth on that one. Well, that's, I know, that's, that's interesting because that actually makes me go back to King of Twelve and like create a, a rubberos loop of a, of a podcast. Because yep. I think King of Twelve has that thing of like, it's... It's silly enough that you don't have to, you don't have to be good at it, right? And so, like something like coup, there's it's actually possible to be good at coup. Like yeah. there's strategies, there's tactics that will work better than other things, and like there's enough of that game to sink into that you can be. And King of Twelve, from what I saw, doesn't really have that, but it's fun, <laughs> and yeah. you're not going to get dumpstered and you're not going to be confused you're just going to be annoyed at worst and in a way where someone's laughing about you being annoyed so it's fine and you're probably going to about to do it to someone else so yeah yeah there's there's i like a bit of chaos i like a bit of chaos in a short game I like a bit of chaos. If you were looking at Shot and Tottenham and went, you know what? I need a bit more chaos. I need I need Rainer Knizia to have had a couple of beers before designing this one. Then that's what Caper Europe feels like. 
Thank you, everyone, for listening to this ever so slightly heat-confused, heat-bedazzled, heat-exhausted sure. episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. I've been Ava Fox for, and I'm sorry if I've been a bit about a bit mean about some games and a bit excited about other ones. Uh, and this is the Shut Up and Sit Tom, say Down. your name. Oh, it's Tom me, Brewster, uh, say your Tom name. Brewster, and I have uh, enjoyed listening to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. And we hope you have enjoyed being in the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. Bye! Bye. <laughs>